hello, everybody. It is great to be with you today. Mike said it. I just want to say we've had fun, challenged. Um, some people had to press in, but it's been a great series, this series, I Dare You. As we looked at biblical characters who dared to step out in courage and follow the calling of God, even when it was uncomfortable, even when everything on earth said, not a good idea. People faithfully stepped out trusting God and daring to do the things that God had called them. Today will not be a disappointment. This is such an important message. It is for me, and I am confident it is for all of us. The dare for this morning is, I dare you to let God shape your identity. I dare you to let God shape your identity. And you're going to see in the next couple of minutes, there's a real risk that we almost let everything but God shape our identity. Well, one of the interesting challenges we all face in this life as we navigate is what we allow to seep into our minds and begin to shape our identity. I can tell you personally, for me, for a season of about 15 years, it was my profession. I just kept believing that if I got that next promotion, that, that title, that recognition would be life-changing. But profession is not an evil thing, but it's not where we should find our identity, whether you're a plumber or, or a pastor or a nurse or a stay-at-home mom, that that is not where we should draw our primary identity from. Another place we often go to to find identity is in our roles. Uh, I have the role that's new to me a year ago of grandpa. I, I delight in this role, and I hold it with, with, with importance but it cannot be what defines me primarily. You may have the role of mom or single or married, and all of that is true, but it cannot be our primary identity. And yet so often we default to allowing some of that. And maybe the most dangerous of all is we allow the views of others to shape our identity. Now, this can be both good and bad. There's many things that get thrown on us. Let me give you some examples. Oh, she was the youngest child. She was an only child. He was an athlete. He's a bookworm. We might let things like the social media, which has become probably in the last 20 years a, a big place people search for identity to, to shape how we perceive ourselves and think of our identity. I have been giving careful thought to the idea of stepping through the threshold. I'm about 20 plus years late, I think, of joining Facebook. It's scary to me. Um, most of you are probably like, what is he afraid of? Well, that, that's not what today's message is about, but I'm thinking about it. And so, so Carrie here at, at church helped me think about what might I put in that little box that, that kind of says, I want this to be what people think of me as. It's a little bit of background on who Chad is. And so this would be a possibility for me. Chad Murphy, husband, father, grandpa, pastor, who loves the outdoors. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now, and then there's truth to this. There's, none of these are wrong. 
that none of these are, are evil, and these titles are all appropriate for me. But I would argue as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, something is missing in this. And I want to put for us, whether it show up on your Facebook account or not, I would want you to be thinking more like this. Let's put up the second example. Follower of Jesus, husband, father, grandpa, pastor who loves the outdoors. Do you see the distinction? We should identify at least inwardly with the Lord first and foremost. Our relationship with him and how that shapes and defines us. I, I want to go back a slide. I apologize. I skipped something incredibly important for this morning. This, if you get this and nothing else, I think it's a win today. Our relationship with Jesus is what should define us. Amen? That is the primary identification I want us to have as Christians. And yet the world muddies this, and sometimes we accidentally begin to believe those other identities more than we do our identity in Christ. So don't leave here today without that being the primary thing that you default to is our relationship with Jesus more than anything else is what needs to define our identity. And so today, I dare you to let God shape your identity. I dare you to let your relationship with the Lord, no matter your profession, no matter the roles you play, no matter your popularity or lack of popularity on social media or your history, no matter how broken it's been or good to be the thing that identifies you. No, I dare you to let God shape your identity because it's far too easy to fall into these places where we are listening to these voices and putting too much on our profession, putting too much on our role as mom, putting too much on our history, which we're not proud of and we carry into today. So today we're about to visit an Old Testament character. And what's interesting about this character is I think most of us know her primarily because of her profession. She was a prostitute, a harlot in the city of Jericho. And just to give us some context for this story, Joshua has just taken over for Moses as the leader of the Israelites. They have come out of slavery in Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their sin. That's for another day. But God allowed a generation to die off because of their sin in the wilderness. And now Moses himself has died. And God has called on Joshua to step in as the leader of the Israelites to lead them into the promised land. And so God has spoken this to Joshua. He's called on Joshua to be strong and courageous, to trust God. And he said, every place you put your foot, I will be with you. And you will take that land. Just remain in me. Follow me, and I will be with you. And so that's the context of our story. And so think about this. On the east side of the Jordan River, and maybe we can put that map up, 
about two million plus of Joshua's closest friends are sitting near this town, Shittim, waiting for God to call them across the Jordan into the promised land. Across from them is something somewhat intimidating. There's this city of Jericho. And if you were looking at it back then, it was a fortified city with walls all the way around. And it looked impenetrable. In fact, they thought it was impenetrable. They thought it would be impossible for someone to take their city. And so here's Joshua being called to enter the promised land. And the first city they're going to encounter is Jericho. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to send a couple of spies over there to just investigate and give us a sense of what it is we're up against. That's the backdrop for the story we're about to enter into together. If you have your Bibles, follow with me. I'm in Joshua chapter 2, and I'll begin with verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and encountered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So Rahab is in a pickle. She's in a predicament. Ironically, it's almost humorous. The, the, the Jericho, the king of Jericho had spies spying on the spies of Joshua. Or they just weren't very good spies, right? So they went, they entered the house of Rahab, a prostitute, but unfortunately, the king gets word. And he knows she's housing these two spies. He knows it. So he says, Rahab, do the right thing. Give up the two Israelites, the two spies. They're spying out the whole land. Just turn them over to me. And you would think the easy thing to do would be, my king knows I'm busted. Maybe I can turn this thing around. Maybe he'll give me some kind of a reward if I press into this and say, hey, yeah, How, what you going to give me if I give him up? And, and maybe she'll get a little something. Well, let's look at how Rahab actually responded to that request. We pick up our story in verse 4. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they came, had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had lied out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate shut. So I've read this a few times. It's always made me a little uncomfortable. I thought about trying to skip this this morning, which would have been the easy thing to do. But we have a bit of an ethical dilemma. Because we are told, rightfully so, as Bible believers, as followers of Jesus, that we are not to lie. That lying is a sin. 
And in fact, lying is a sin. Let me just start with that, okay? But here we have Rahab telling the king of Jericho a lie. And we're left to wrestle. Is that okay? And I thought about just rushing through this part. But I said, no. I think we should talk about it briefly. So I want to give you some context and think about this with you. First and foremost, I would argue the strong narrative of the Bible, the calling of us as followers of God is not to lie. There's hardly ever a circumstance where lying is okay. Okay? Almost never. But there might be times when the sin of lying is the lesser of two sins. That there's something greater going on. And I want to give you an example that, that I think is super interesting, and it might paint a picture better than I will with my own words. I'm going to take you back to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus. And we're in chapter 1, and in a minute, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. But, but let me tell you a little bit about the backdrop of this story before I do. The, the Egyptian pharaoh, the king, has had the Israelites in slavery for 400-ish years. And he's brutal. And now he's intimidated because they've grown in number to a point that he sees them as a threat. So he tells the Hebrew midwives, the Israelite midwives, listen, your job is to continue to go into the house of the Israelites when they have babies, just like you've always done. But now I want you to let the little baby girls live but I want you to kill every single baby, born, baby boy that is born. So they're given this horrible reality by the king of Pharaoh, who, who, who can destroy if he so chooses, right? He, 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 and he's saying, I want you to destroy those little boys. Do not let them live. And so their response to the Pharaoh is to lie. And that's what I want to read you for a minute. Exodus chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Then the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the little boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. I'm glad you laughed, because it helps me. This is a lie, <laughs> okay? They may be vigorous, but they're not having all these babies before the midwives arrive. They're helping deliver these baby boys, okay? Verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. Folks, they lied to the Pharaoh, and yet God was kind to the midwives, and he blessed them. And here's how I want to frame this. God knows our hearts. They, the midwives, feared and honored God and his creation above fearing and following an earthly king. And in order to do that, they deceived the Pharaoh to protect those baby boys. Their lie was validated in a sense because a greater good was taking place. Baby boys were being saved. And so my, my statement to you is, don't lie. 
Almost always lying is a, is a clear sin, but there may be unique, unique times where a greater good is taking place. We could go back to World War II and the concentration camps. Those who hid the Jews from the Nazis and lied that they had them in their basements. I would argue a greater good was unfolding by protecting them from being murdered. And so that's the tension we face. God knows our hearts. That's the praise. And so he knows our intentions when we walk into a circumstance like that. And he knew the heart of Rahab in this story. So let's continue with verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given the land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God of heaven above and the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Folks, I just want to start with this simple, very uh, theology-based statement. This is awesome. Rahab gets it. That, 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 that's my summation of the theology of this passage. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Rahab gets it. And it's awesome. He, here's what I mean. She stood back and, and she knew what had been happening. She had been told the stories of how this God had parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. She had been told the stories of how these mighty earthly kings east of the Jordan River had been totally wiped out, not because Israel was strong, but because their God was in charge. And now she thought about their own circumstance. And she said, I could honor and follow an earthly king. And for a moment in time, I would be protected but I could also put my faith and trust in a heavenly king, the king of all kings, the God of heaven above and of earth below. That's where I'm putting my faith, is in that God, above all earthly kings, above anything on this planet. I'm going to put my faith and trust in the God of heaven above and of earth below. That's what I mean by she gets it. This is the moment she crossed over that threshold. She made a decision in her mind, in her heart. No, I'm putting my faith in God, not in my earthly king. And so she protected those spies. And then she said, I want you to make an oath to me because of the kindness I have shown to you. And those of you who know the story well, they, they came up with a plan that she'd put a scarlet rope out the window. And when the Israelites came and destroyed Jericho, they would protect her and her family. So here's what I want to lay before you. I dare you to let God shape your identity. 
Rahab dared to believe that the God of heaven above and of earth below could rescue her and her family. That this God was better to follow and trust and put your faith in than anything, including an earthly king, a mighty earthly king. And so she put her faith in him. And in that moment, guess what started to happen? She began to break away from her identity. She began to not see herself as a prostitute and all the baggage that came with that. No, she began to see herself as a child of God who who had a new life that she could walk in, not because of her history, but because of who she was now in identifying and letting God shape her, not her earthly background and her position as a prostitute. And just to put a bookend on this story, because I would be curious if you don't know it well, if we fast forward to chapter 6, Joshua and the Israelites invade and take Jericho, and they keep their promise. Look at it with me, Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. That alone is super positive. But I would argue it's an amazing understatement of Rahab's reality. Here's what I mean. Not only did Rahab and her family get to live happily among the Israelites, but Rahab also becomes a part of the lineage a part of the genealogy, a part of the family tree that leads us to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that crazy? Think about a change in identity going on there. Here is this woman who's caught up in prostitution. It's probably the only way she can survive. And now she's in the family tree of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I want you to be able to go back and look at this because I think it's so amazing. Write down Matthew chapter 1 and just look at the genealogy that he places before us. Verse 5, you're going to see the name Rahab. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret in case you're not good at this. I had to study this. She is the great-great-grandmother of King David. And then if we go a little further, much more importantly, she is in the family tree that leads to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an amazing God. That's an amazing faith. And God took a circumstance and turned it upside down because she put her trust in letting God shape her identity instead of her earthly profession. And later... The story's not done. Later, if we go into the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab shows up with others like Moses and Abraham and Noah in chapter 11 of Hebrews, where the superheroes of faith are commended for trusting and walking in faith. Rahab is one of those characters who's commended for her faith. Isn't that awesome? Rahab dared to trust God and let God shape her identity and change her story. The Bible reminds us, in case you need reminding, I do all the time, that you are fearfully 
and wonderfully made. Ari led us in song to remember that truth. It's biblical. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't know if it was last week, Pastor Mike, but just recently he talked about our fingerprints. Nobody shares your fingerprint. It is unique to you. Why? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only that, you're made in the very image of our creator. Not only that, God has gifted every one of us uniquely. And if we use those gifts, they bring glory to our Father. God wants to shape your identity. Don't let the world, don't let the things of this earth, don't let what people have said about you, and even on the other side of that, don't take too much homage in your profession as as being the thing. I chased that for a long time, and it was not worthless, but it, it, it did not bring me a true identity that I could cling to and trust. When we began to prep for this very message, I was in the office, and we have a shared office space, and, and I read this passage, and I just said out loud, it's amazing, even as Christians, how much we struggle with identity. I, I said, Rahab reminds me again that, that identity, we so often find our identity in everything but Jesus. I said, this is still a battle, isn't it? And, and Carrie said, oh, I get it. She said, she said I, that, that's my journey. That, that's my story. I've wrestled with identity. And I said, would you be willing to share that on Sunday? That's what you get, Carrie, for getting involved in the conversation. And, I, and she said, yes. And I, I just said, you know, could you tell us a little bit about your identity and the struggles you've had about letting God shape your identity? Yeah, thanks, Jane. Is this the right mic? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, this topic of identity, yes, hit me hard. And I, I wrote some notes down because it's so important. I just didn't want to miss anything, you guys. Um, I have lived with insecurity, lack of confidence, not feeling worthy. Um, I lived in that for a long time. I stressed a lot about what others thought of me, and I just had a lot of worries and general anxiety. And I think, Chad, that caused me to live... Um, in the identity of just a, I, I would say I'm just a stay-at-home mom, or I'm just a secretary, or I'm just a volunteer. And if I'm honest, reflecting back, I think I felt very comfortable in that role. Um, it was a safe place for me to stay. I didn't have to challenge myself. I had a built-in excuse, kind of, because I could just say, well, I'm just a, so I don't have to try to be bold or, or courageous. But um, as I grew in my faith and God started doing a work in my heart, I found myself praying for boldness and for courage, something I would have never really asked for before. And God was challenging me, and I kept feeling a tug to try to do things that I haven't done in the past. Um, I was learning that living under the label of not worthy or justa was not honoring to God. I came to admit that I was hiding my God-given gifts and calling it humility. Mm. And ouch, that, that one hurt my heart. And slowly, I started to see myself as a loved child of God. I was someone worthy to serve him, mm. and I could push past any fears that I had. 
I found this statement, Chad, and I just loved it. It says, our job is to believe we are loved and worthy. And through this trust, God rescues us. And when we're secure in this truth, the light, fill, the light that fills us cannot help but shine forth. And I just thought, wow, I want that. I want the light to fill me and then shine through for others. And it's not easy, um, but I have stopped thinking of myself as just a. Um, we talked about this a little bit. Now I, I, my perspective has changed, and I think I get to. I get to serve God, no matter what I'm doing or what my label is or what my job is. Um, it's not always easy. I still struggle at times, but I also, Chad, have never experienced such peace in my life either. Um, it seems like the worries ha have greatly lessened. Resting in my identity as a follower of Jesus and a loved child of God, golly, that just covers it all, doesn't it? And it really has lessened my desire to seek approval from, from people around me. Yep. And this is just what drives my passion for kids' ministry. I don't ever want our kiddos, you guys, to measure their worth or their identity against what the world has labeled them or against, you know, what the world says they are. I want them to stand firm and have peace and joy in their identity as a loved child of God who was fearfully and wonderfully made, who is. And we want them to have that true, unshakable identity. And I just believe that is more important than ever right now for our kiddos. Amen. And I think it's so cute. When I look at Pastor Mike here right now, um, we do Bible verses in the nursery. And his little Adeline, who's now five, I can't believe it. But one of her favorite one was always, and it goes, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> and they just would repeat that. And it was so sweet. So I just love that we're planting those seeds. It's so important. Amen. So thank you for thank letting me you. share. I loved Carrie's story, and I, I just want to say I've been with them since last August. And I'm watching Carrie step through that door more and more, trusting God, knowing that there, there's an identity in Christ that, that she is living and being called to. And yes, there's fear in that. Yes, it's a little scary, but, but God meets us in those places. And, and the last thing she spoke of was the children and trying to shape and help them find their identity in God and not in TikTok and the things of this world, which are so easily trying to twist and turn and, and shape our children. And I love that. And, and truthfully, I'd like to expand that and say that's, that's my prayer for all of us, that, that we would find our identity in God, in Christ alone. And, and these other roles are not evil in themselves, but but we cannot allow them to be our primary identity. I want to, before I end, I just, a story came to me in the last um, morning session. And I had a man who's nearly 70 years old come into my office about three or four years ago. And he was just in tears. And um, he sat down and he said, when I was born, my mom said I was a mistake. And then as I lived over and over, she reminded me that she wished I'd never been born. And he was bawling. And I started bawling. 
And I said, that is not true. I'm sorry that this happened to you. I'm sorry that it still resonates in you so deeply. And I understand why it does, but it is not true. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are here for a reason. God has brought you into this place and is doing a healing work in you, and you still have work to do. And that's what I want to say to all of you. Our histories can be so broken. I wish I had come to faith about 35 years earlier than I did. But God still uses all that stuff, all the baggage, all the brokenness, for the good of those who love him. And I just want to encourage you. I want to dare you to let God shape your identity. Amen? Folks, there is a world that's searching all over to find their identity. I would argue in in my time as pastor, we are in the greatest season of identity crisis that I've ever experienced. And people are trying to find it in groups, in, in, in parties. They're trying to find it in their jobs. They're trying to find it in roles. And folks, I will tell you, that will not satisfy in the long run. It will not fill, it will not restore, and it will not bring hope. But we are blessed in that our hope comes from the Lord, the the maker of heaven and earth. And so I want to challenge you to to let that resonate in you, to, to let the truth of your identity in Christ be what defines you. So as you walk with people, and you will, who are in the midst of identity crisis, you can love them and gently remind them there is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. He he wants to restore you. He wants to walk with you. And then he wants to spill out of you onto your friends and your neighbors. You, You don't have to chase identity. You just have to embrace your identity in Jesus Christ. The challenge we face as followers of Jesus is to let our true identity transcend and flow out of us into the circumstances that God has placed us in. And I don't want to stand up here and tell you it's easy, but it is possible through God and through his power at work in us. And this is the beautiful thing about having our identity in Christ. If the things of this world turn darker, and I'm normally optimistic, but I will tell you, I have a hunch they will. They may turn darker before they turn brighter again. But even if that's true, even if everything we have gets taken away and destroyed, guess what? We can still wake up in the morning full of hope. Why? Because our identity isn't in these things. Our identity is in Christ. And I just want to encourage you to hold on to that truth and then let it fill you and let it spill out of you. Amen?
Will you pray with me? Lord God, I know what it's like to chase identity. I think that's why this message was important. Maybe for me more than anyone else, I don't know. But God, I thank you that you rescued me, that you rescue us, that you're a rescuer. I I thank you that you rescued Rahab. I thank you that she saw that her only hope was you. And you took her identity and you shaped it into something new and something beautiful. Lord, may that be true of us. And may we not just linger in it, but may it fill us to the point that it spills out of us onto the world that you placed us in day by day, hour by hour. May your hope, may our identity in you be what drives us forward to be your light. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.